0: Our scripture reading this evening is found in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verses 19, 9 to 18. Do not reap to the very edges of your field when you harvest your land, or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time, or pick up grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am, I am the, Lord, the Lord your, your God. God. Do not steal... Do not lie. Do not deceive one another. Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I I am am the Lord. Lord. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate a fellow Israelite in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share in their guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I, I am, am the Lord. Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God.
1: The Merchant of Venice is my least favorite uh, play of Shakespeare. How many of you have read it? Anybody? Some of you have read it, Yeah. yeah. It's I probably one of his weaker plays. There's a couple things that, that jump out at me. Um, you know the expression "play the fool" came comes from that play. I love that. But but the most famous expression from that particular uh, piece of fiction is a pound of flesh. You know I, you know I, it's hard to get a get your kind of put your finger. I think sometimes on the nature of the Shakespearean genius. And when you read him, or when you read, or you read the story, maybe you're not a big Shakespeare reader, but even if you just watch the story, even if you just watch, um, uh, what's, the, what's the adaptation with the, the Jets and the West, the West Side Story? If you just watch the adaptation, you, you'll see, you, you can see how his genius. He was able to reach into the human experience and just nail it, like in a way that's uncanny. He's, he almost, ri- he's almost as good as the Bible at that. He's that good. He's just a genius. Nobody's been able, ever been able to really match him. One thing he was really good at capturing is hatred. Something <laughs> about, he just, he knows how to reach into hatred. I, uh, his, 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 his bad guys, Richard III, those are the ones that are memorable. Uh, uh, it's Othello, uh, and Othello, Iago. Uh, what a, Iago is the ultimate bad guy, by the way. Before that, even in literature, there never been anybody like Iago. He, he's animated by a malice and delight of malice that's just uncanny. Shakespeare seems to see, and, and we recognize in it, in his writing, we're like, I, I know that, I know people like that, I know situations like that. And I go, whoa. And I thought about the pound of flesh uh, question. You know, Shylock, You know, uh, he, it, that, po- that whole play is very anti-Semitic. It participates in a lot of the anti-Semitism of its age. You know, it's really hard to play a Jew in the, in, in, the, in, the, in the Globe Theater. Do you know that? Because Jews were so hated that if you played a Jew, The people in the the audience would throw things at you just just for fun. They'd they'd have to dodge things while you were saying your lines. That's how involved the group was. That's kind of of wild, huh? But 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 this ability to reach in and express and and, and kind of put in front of you hatred. You know, I think maybe this is part of his genius. We all know what hatred is, and we all know how to do that. We all know what that feels like, and we all know how that can animate us. How they can drive us, and how they can destroy us. Well, I, I, today, I, I was kind of, this, this text, I'm gonna, i want to, I kind of, that's a launching point for me, because I want to talk about hatred. Really, uh, the, the, the message tonight is going to focus on the last two verses of this passage from Leviticus 19. But let me give you, let me give you my, my plan of attack tonight, to this, tonight Okay. I want. I want to kind of. I'm going to make some observations about the text. I'm going to go through the text so you understand it. it. We're really focusing on the last two verses. And then after after we look at the text, I want to I want to make a series of observations. I'm just going to I'm just going to run through a battery of observations. I'll tell you why I'm doing it, and, I, and you can share these observations would be helpful in understanding the text. And then I want to I want to ask how this how we can enact not hating not hating, learning to rebuke our brother, it says there, your neighbor frankly, learning how not to seek revenge, to love our neighbor as ourself. And, and, and I, let, me, let me cry out to God. Holy Spirit, I ask for you to do the work that is impossible for me to do. It's really impossible for all of us to do. Bring us Jesus, reveal to us your gospel. Father, I pray you would ordain this for this hour. To, to, to glorify your son. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I, I, so the language, so now there we're in the law, this Torah, the law. You see it? Now I mapped it out for you, just to, you know I mapped it out so you could see the five-fold structure. Do you see the five-fold, five-fold stanzas? The five stanzas. And each stanza has a refrain where God says, I am the Lord. It's kind of an interesting an interesting format. Now, this format, by the way, this I am the Lord refrain format, happens all through chapter 18. Chapter 18 is all about the, the sex stuff. It's all the sex rules. And, uh, and then chapter 20, it's in chapter 22. And, and it continues on. And it's this formula. It goes on way past that, and occasionally it's said. But in this particular part of Deuteronomy, Leviticus. This is Leviticus, not Deuteronomy. This particular part of Leviticus. This is the refrain. This is over and over and over again. So let's let, I, let's just jump in into some of the language. And so we can we can. You may not even understand this first bit. Did you understand the first bit? How many of you uh, had a, have had the chance to mow lawns like for hours? Anybody? But Carol's done it. Uh, all right, you've done it. Yeah, okay. Alice has done it. I used to have a rider mower. It was my favorite. Was the rider mower working for my dad in the cemetery? And, And I had developed in the largest field a real good, really good eye for efficiency. Because you know, it's all about efficiency. It's getting this stupid job done because you hate doing it. (laughs) You're trying to get it done as fast as possible. If you ever want something done quickly, ask a lazy man. Because they always try to find the most efficient way to do it. That was me. I was like, I gotta do this. It's so frustrating because you can't... Mow without leaving a little corner. I mean, you you tight you tight a turn as you can, and you've got every time you turn in every corner of your big field, you've got these little corners, and they're like a fence to you, because you know you got to run back over them, and you got to you got to figure, and you know, going back to the corners. So this first two verses, you see that it's talking about a vineyard, and elsewhere in the other parts of the Torah, it talks about an olive trees, and and the idea here was, what well, was what? Don't be so efficient. Don't let your greed, don't let your greed drive how you do business. Why? Make room. Make room for the poor. To be able to come into your fields after hours, after you've done all your work, and just pluck, get a little something to eat, a little corn, a little olive, a little grape, a vineyard, a little piece of wheat. Make room for the poor. In your world. Think about others. And there's this wonderful invitation right out the gate. I love this. You know, this idea of a consciousness about the poor. I was talking to Tal about this. You have heard a quote? Julie, where do we hear the quote from? That's not important, but. Um, uh, the one who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful poem? Isn't that a beautiful, isn't that a beautiful proverb? The one who is gracious to the poor lends to the Lord himself. What a beautiful picture. And where we have this this tender compassion. Now, you notice we're beginning right here with a sensitivity about others. And this other sensitivity is all of these. You notice that? They're all about um, do no harm to your neighbor. We're going to sum them all up. Do no harm to your neighbor. Do no harm. That's the law. as it's being expressed here. So it begins. It begins in this kind of almost innocent way. And it invites us to make it wonder: oh, How am I leaving room for the poor? How is my tipping? You know, whatever it is, whatever ways we are able to see our lives help others. Now let's go to the next set. So that first set is a very simple, and it's repeated elsewhere in the Old Testament law. By the way, I should mention this: <laughs> so you know, this is almost four thousand years old. This is the first time in recorded history that any law was made to consider the poor. Did you know that? We have tons of ancient laws, Hammurabi's code and other laws. Not one of them ever commands that you take care of those who don't have something. Isn't that wonderful? Wonderful. How different this law is because it comes from God, it's not made by man. Now let's take the next set. And one of the things you'll notice do not steal, do not lie, do not deceive one another. It's funny. You know, we think that do not lie is one of the Ten Commandments, it's not. The, ten, the commandment about your speech is, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor, right? And if you're a clever legalist, you might say, well, I lied to my mom, but it was a white lie, and I'm not really bearing false witness because we're not in court. And it, it, All right, just to get away from that kind of thinking, do not steal, don't, don't miss this, do not lie, don't make any mistakes. Don't even deceive one another. Not just lying words, but, but don't do things that are like deceptive or... Live in a deceptive fashion. And then this, look at verse 12. This is one of those little clues. In the New Testament we're told that if you break one part of the wall, you break it all. One command, you break them all. These are commands about loving one another. But look, the third commandment, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord shall not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. But you can take, Christ, take God's name in vain by how you are in front of somebody else. You can break a command against him by just how you are presenting yourself with other people, because his name is at stake in your behavior. Wow, <laughs> wow. Hmm. You know, if something's happening we'll explain what's happening, but there's a reason for this. What's happening here uh, well, is called causistry. Well, we'll take a look at it in a second. Let's take the next, the next set. Do not defraud or rob your neighbor. Now we're going a little more aggressive. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. There's different ways you can steal, isn't there? I can steal for you by taking, but I can also steal by paying you late and letting the money accrue my interest while you suffer. That's theft. It's, it's crime, it's sin. It's wrong. And you notice that thou shalt not steal. You may, you may think, oh, I don't take things from people. And then you, but then this, this, what does the law start telling It starts exploring what that idea is. It's not just about taking something from Caroline. It's about not giving Caroline what you said you would. That's that too. Okay, so the the law's opening up. He's doing a work here. Look how it goes on to those who are the worst, who are the victims, the easy victims of theft. Those who can't see, those who can't hear. The people who are the easiest to victimize. I am the Lord. It seems to get a little bigger here at this next moment. Do not pervert justice. <laughs> I love that. I love the language here. I was going to, I was, um, there was something in that, that actual word for perverting of justice that really, that really, oh yeah, uh, this word pervert means to send off track, just to derail things. You wouldn't even think it was sin just to derail something, just to take it off its tracks, just to get it off you see? Obstruction of justice. I guess. What we would call on. Do not show partiality to the poor, favoritism to the great. Ooh, I wish we could... <laughs> this, is, this is in Hebrew, this is what it says. It says, um, do not... Um, what was the... It, it says, um, do not... Oh yeah, do not support the face of the low. That's actually, that's actually in Hebrew The Literal, do not support the face of the low. And do not respect the face of the big shot. And it's just, the word is big, the big one, the big guy, the big shot. And, and I love the face language, because it's all about inner. It's very personal. That's the p- face language in Hebrew. Face means presence. It just means to be in front of somebody. And so the word panim is here. And what it does is it brings this very whoo, right, right in front of you, right? This is this work of, it, it's this work that we, we do of getting in there and working the angles. You know, this poor person, I not have to worry about them. Oh, he's wealthy, I've got to kiss his ring, right? <laughs> and the way we do this, the way we play these games, the way we play these games. The language in the Hebrew is more vivid and has a, 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 a what's the word for it? When um, something's irrational, I can't remember. I'll think about it a second. Uh, and uh, judge your neighbor fairly. That word there is "tzedek." It's the word for right? Now, the reason I bring that up it's very important you understand this is about righteousness. Because when we use the righteousness word, we're in a whole different place in the Bible. Very important. All right, let's keep going. Do not go about spreading slander. I love this word. That word slander, the word there for slander is a word for, it's the word from the marketplace. And <laughs> gossip is a kind of currency, isn't it? It gets, you, it, gets you, it gets you in with people. I'll let you in on this. And the idea, there's almost like a currency language here of how we deal with each other. And one of the ways we deal is begotten, slander. And then we come down, and do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. It's very clear. But look at this in verse 17 and 18. And that's where we're really going to spend most of our time. This word here, not sharing their guilt, is a load of sin. And this bear a grudge language, oh, it's the language of watchfulness. But we'll I will look to the Lord to open this up more and more and more to us. Now, I said I was going to go over the language. I just wanted to penetrate some of the language and uh, see, you understand what's going on. But back up a little bit. Why the structure? Why the, why the repetition? Why the I am the Lord kind of statements? In other words, what's the bigger purpose of this particular kind of communication style that we're just here reading these many years later? Like, what does, is there? Is does this communication here tell us something deeper? I think it does. And, I, and I, want to, I want to point out some observations about the text. And as I point them out, then I want from there I'm going to want to go right into right into uh, how we how we can. Respond to this. Um, so the larger refrain, look, the, um, does anybody, how would you say, I am the Lord in raw English? Does anybody know how you would say this if it wasn't being translated Lord here? How would you actually say the, na- the Lord's name stands for a statement? Does anybody remember what phrase the Lord's name, Yahweh, is, is supposed to mean? It's the I am. The I am. The I am. Yahweh is based on the two verb. So really, what every line is saying, if you're a Hebrew, you recognize this right away, I am the I am. <laughs> it's kind of, I am the I am. I am the, why well, keep saying it? Anybody? Come on, there's really a historical reason right away. Why is it so important? How, who, who introduced us to this name? Moses at the burning bush. Remember? He says, well, well, what name shall I tell them? Why? Well, what name shall the Israelites recognize you? And that's what God says. Tell them the I am sent you. For I am that I am. That's his name. He says his name. What's the point of that? I think the first point is this. The law reveals the inner nature of God. What is he saying? Here's a rule, Spencer. I am the Lord. This is what this is about. Here's another rule, Gene. He said, I am the Lord. Do you understand this? If you have any question about any detail of what I say, it is I who have said it. It comes from me. Um, it partakes of me, you see, it's, it's holy. This refrain, it seems to me, this refrain has this almost punishing refrain, as it were, maybe comforting to some of us at times, or it could be either way, whether you're feeling guilty or need hope, but this refrain again and again, like an assault, as it were, or like an oath every time. It's almost like an oath, right? Do this, I am the I am. And what he keeps doing is that the ground of existence the ground of the material existence of this, of this and the moral existence of you and me are rooted and exist in the person and eternity and grandeur and person of an eternal God, the great I Am. Praise Him. That's what the text is doing to you. It keeps saying to you again and again, again and again. It is putting before you this rules and these rules Reveal who he really is in his character. How thinks, he, what he values, what he does. Wow. That's what the refrain keeps telling us. What else does it tell us? Well, what is repetition for? It's for knuckleheads, isn't it? What's repetition for? It's for knuckleheads. It's for people like you and me. Maybe you don't consider yourself a knucklehead. Uh, I actually put a note here. It's for knuckleheads and hard hearts. <laughs> knuckleheads and hard hearts. Pick your choice. There are three synoptic gospels. Why? Why? Why this reference? It... Because Spencer forgets. And so does Clay. And so does Jack. So does you. You ever feel like you could hear a sermon and within about, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes, maybe, Somebody you get a fad phone call, or somebody cuts you off in traffic, and everything you just heard just goes. Just evaporates like that. uh, uh, Am I the only one this happens to? We need repetition. There's a wonderful sense here. In other words, be in the law a lot. Be in the law. Be in the law because it constantly delivers to you a knowledge of God. Good stuff. Repetition is meant to invite you into hope. Um, What else? One of the things that's happening here is cause street. Now, what is street? Case law. In other words, we have a command. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Now, that's very, you could be very narrow with that, right? You could take a command like that and try to narrow it down to a fine point so you could probably keep it. You know, well, it just means that when you're in a court, you never ever say something wrong against somebody else. I can do this just never go to court, I'll be fine, (laughs) whatever, you know, like, we think that way, God doesn't want us to think that way, so he engages in what's causistry, and what that is, is is he he takes little rules, and they're little little logical implications, you see, they're little logical working out of the core rule, and that's what's happening here, the repetition, the structure of the repetition is showing you an an examination, Imagine, imagine like, we take a command, like, Don't take God's name in vain. It's like a little jewel. And if you turn it slightly, you'll see another facet. You'll see another way you can keep it, and another way you can break it. And that's what's going on here. That's what's going on. That's one of the reasons why these texts are so vitally important to us. Because they open up to us a world of wonder. They opened up to us the heart of God. Finally, these... Oh, no, one more, two more things. Claim of authorship is being made clear. And I, want to, I point this out. Maybe you don't need to hear it, but I, I want to keep saying it because we need to remember it. Bible claims to be written not by men. Our scriptures claim to be the direct communication of a supernatural being. And uh, that's what it is. And this kind of text kind of plays that, right? It plays it out. It reveals it over and over again. So you can't miss it. So you can't miss it. And then finally, finally, a summation happens. It's interesting to me, if you go down to, to, to the, those last two verses, those last two verses, in a sense, they capture the whole law, and, and there's a brilliance to the writer. He, he inserts um, thesis statements that sum the whole point, in the midst of all the details. And, and maybe you think that's not fit. Well, I don't know, how would you know it was there? Well, Jesus knew it was there, <laughs> he had read it. <laughs> and if you read it, it Leviticus 19.18 jumps out, because there's a, of, there's a lot of, don't do this, don't do that, love your neighbor, it's vivid, and powerful, it's striking. It is the thesis of the whole book. No, let's go further than that. It's the thesis of the whole Scripture. <laughs> and I'm going to make this argument. Whew, you'll see why, why, why I make such a big argument uh, in just a moment, I think. So that, that, that's, those are the observations. I'm hoping we, I've kind of mined why it's written that way, what you can look for in it, and why, how it's, what it's meant to reveal about God. But let's, I want to get a little closer now to talking about what kind of God he is. And then from that, uh, his call to love us, to love the way he does. This is what gets me about this first and foremost. It sounds so silly when I say it, but it's so true. And It's it's everywhere in this. God is a person. (laughs) I I know that sounds like well, we should all know that. We should all figure this one out by now. But if you've figured out how God's a person, then please tell me what that means. Because that is astounding. <laughs> he's not a force. He's not some watchmaker. He is not, not some vast machine. He, no, he's a person like I'm a person. And you're a person. Whatever makes... And we can't even figure out... If I were to ask you what makes you a person, you probably couldn't even tell me. You're going know, to say, well, I don't know how to think. But if you can't think, are you stop being a person? No. And you say, well, I feel things. Well, if you stop feeling things? you stop? No. It's some indelible thing in you. Why? Because God made you. Because God made you. You're not created by chance or, or, or evolution. It doesn't happen. God made you. And therefore, you, you, there's something about you that reflects this. That, 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 that the grasp, it's there for you to understand, for you grasp some of these things and be able to see them. God is a person. He can be offended. He can be feared. He can be angry. He can be And I guess, starting with this idea, you, know, you think, well, I guess what I was going to say, this is that I wrote in my notes, um, and this is about the law, remember, we're talking about rules and about love. Um, why, is this so pers- why is this so important? Uh, God never says this. There's a book of the things God never says, Somebody should write it, it'd be kind of fun, but things God never says. Oh, it's nothing personal. God never says that. God is never impersonal. He takes all of the offenses in the law, even the, even the ones you, 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 know, you think aren't that bad. And he says, I am offended by all of them. You know, there's no little God. To, to offend—that's why there's no little offenses. That's why he keeps saying over and over again, so you don't miss the point. I am the I am. You're like, okay, okay, we got it, we got it, Father, we got you. That's part of that. That's part of that refrain, right? It's put. It's get this in your noggin, as it were. I will be regarded as a person. Period. You will know. You will call. You will have a relationship with me, or you will not know God. That's the way it is. Wow. There's only one question that really creates do you know him? Do you know him? But second of all, second, what's the second thing that's revealed in these in these in this fivefold pattern here? What kind of God is he like? Well, he's a God who loves his neighbors. I I never saw this before. It just never clicked for me before. Think about it. God has told you you have to love your neighbor. I mean, the first and greatest command was to love your Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love. And the second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. But then you have this weird moment where you realize that this neighboring love is how God loves. Don't you realize that the incarnation was Jesus saying, I want to be your neighbor. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I just made him sound like Mr. Rogers. But, you know, i that's amazing. All right. This, this idea here uh, that, that, that he is the one who defines all these terms. He defines what love is. He makes love, love. He makes sin, sin. Isn't it interesting? You know, you know what I think interesting about this text right here? Is, I think this is, this is these kinds of texts that David read. Because when David realizes that he has committed murder and adultery, murder and adultery. I can't think of other sins that aren't more other hurting than murder and adultery. They hurt a lot of people. What does he say? What does he say? I think he was in this text he heard the relentless cry, I am the Lord. You lie, brother, you sin against me. You rob, you sin against me. You, oh my goodness. You trim selfishly the corner of your field so you don't have to share with the poor. You sin against me. I define sin, says the Lord. I define love. You know, we've heard about, the, I made a crack about recently about the love is love thing. And how that love is love meme is everywhere and how meaningless that statement is. It's not just meaningless, it's also false. Because John told us, God is love. God is love. He defines and makes real the idea. Love is eternal. And not just because my wife and I love each other so much. (laughs) No, love is eternal because it springs out of the heart of eternity itself. My Father, our Father. Praise Him. Isn't this a wonderful... He is the defining God. And that's what this text is saying over and over again. If you would know what sin is, the Lord will show you. If you know who you've sinned against, it is the Lord. If you want to know what love is, define. Look to Jesus. Oh, yes. Yes. Again and again. Isn't it funny? The Scriptures tell us who got it. Praise All right, so we have the personal name and a personal relationship. How can we love? Let's take a look. Let's go down to verse 17. Let's take a look at it with me and look at the first thing we're told. Because it's your greatest hope. This first command, I think, is the one command, sorry, one command in this text that Tells you more about the good news than anybody else, anything else. It's the first one right here. This is an amazing one, y'all. It's not going to sound amazing when I say it. You have to think about it. Don't hate. Well, I'm done. Are you able to stop hating? Anybody? Anybody able to stop hating somebody who has hurt them or hurt the people they love? I mean, you can just turn it off. You can do little dial, you go can do. You can obey this command. I, I don't hate anymore. But I don't hate it all. I feel fine now. I feel good. You know? This command doesn't make any sense. This command, this command sends us to hell. It puts us under judgment. For who can stop the feelings of hatred when they're hurt? But don't you get it? Don't you get it? I guess this is the first hate crime legislation. (laughs) That's a joke. But uh, I, I hope you can hear this. One of the purposes of the law, one of God's clearest, most dear, and important purposes of these rules was to show you how much you need Jesus, to show you again you cannot do it to show you again you are beholden to hatred in your very nature, unless your nature be changed, unless you be born again, unless you are born again of a seed unperishable into a, into a new person who finds it possible not to hate. And that's a word God does. You know, it's funny, this text right here, when it says that, that moment where it says, do not hate, it is telling you you have to find a way to get rid of the hatred in your heart. So I'm telling you, your hatred put him on a cross and executed him, and his blood ran down to heal your hatred, because you hated God, you hated yourself, and you hated everything. God 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 fixes all that by recreating us into his image of love, because he loved his neighbor. He loved you. You're his neighbor. Everybody's his neighbor. He fills all in all. And he loves. Ah. <sighs> he, he loves. And when you put your faith in Jesus, the possibility of a new heart, of a new ability, a new desire for love. <laughs> you know, look, maybe it'll start like this. You'll begin to hate your hatred. Praise God for that. You know? <laughs> and then then, you've, then it goes on to, hey, what is this love thing? How can I learn how to love? And, I want to learn how to love. And just the desire to want to love. Oh, my goodness. These are all gifts from the Spirit. You see? And this first command, right out the gate, where God says that I demand a pure obedience of the heart, is the command is the golden key to tell you, to remind you, oh, Jesus loves sinners. God loves sinners. God loves His neighbor. (laughs) Praise him! I mean, get it... Get excited about this. Maybe I I can't script that. I can't make you excited about something, can I? Only the Holy Spirit can really do that. But there's something really gorgeous here. Now, I have an idea here. So This says, don't hate. Sincerely, it says, don't hate from the heart. Hmm, that's hard to do if you don't have the Holy Spirit. I'd say impossible. But I wonder if some of you, some of you in the back of your head, you go, yeah, Chris, but that's not really my personality. To be loving, I'm just—I'm a little rough and tumble. I'm a little, I've got some—I've got some sharp edges around me. I, I'm not a real tender person. I mean, I'm describing myself, aren't right? I? I could be like this, you know. do to you hear something here? No Christian who has been born again by the God can ever use their personality as an excuse, because the gifts of the Spirit are greater than personality. Praise Him. And if you say, I don't know how to love, I can't love, or I can't learn whatever this is, or I can't learn to not hate, then you're just not telling the truth. <laughs> you're not telling, because you're not living in a dependence. You're not living in what God does and can and will do. Does for folks like us. Praise him. You know, the Holy Spirit makes personalities irrelevant. Praise. Hey, well, that way he gets all the glory, right? <laughs> he gets all the credit. Now what's the next? What's the next command? So you're supposed, supposed to do not hate from your heart. What's the next command? Rebuke your neighbor frankly, so that you will not share in his guilt. Hmm. That's an odd command. It was kind of funny because I was thinking about this. That kind of command doesn't really occur in the Bible until the New Testament where we're told to rebuke each other, we're told to exhort each other and encourage each other in the way. There's some of it in the Old Testament. There's Deuteronomy 6, talk about this on your own way, and stuff like that. But that second command there, so it says, rebuke your neighbor frankly. And Why should you do that? So you won't share. And the word there, share in the guilt, means carry the burden with them. There's a word, carry their burden. You would be weighed down with their, with their burden if you didn't confront them. You would share their guilt. You ever thought that? All right, what's this talking about here? This is talking about discipleship. It? It's talking about showing up in people's lives and speaking out. Showing up and speaking out about the gospel. With each one another. Jesus talks about this very text in Matthew 18. What does he say? When, not if, but when your brother, <laughs> catch your brother in a sin, go and tell your brother his fault. What does it say? And if he listens to you, what has happened? You have won your brother. You had to win. You won. I love this idea of winning people, too. There's something very sweet about that, of winning. you know. And, uh, what am I talking about right now? Where did I just go? What, what, what am I talking about right now? Rebuking. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So where Christ says, when your brother sins against you, go and tell him this. fall. If you listen to you, you've won your brother. You know what I love about that? That has happened between me and jo- Joyce. That has happened between me and Spencer. That has happened between me and my wife. What am I talking about here? It's happened between me and Cedric at times. Christ is describing when you catch somebody in a, an error or a sin, maybe I did it to you, did it to me, but it's this hey, bro, hey you know what, your language or your attitude or what you did the other day, you, I think you shared with something that I had said to me one time and, and, and what was my response is supposed to be? I hope it was at the time. Uh, thank you, sister. I want to learn. I want to grow. Now, that interchange is supposed to be the most ordinary thing that happens in the church. Remember where the Bible says a wise man loves a rebuke? You're supposed to be going to all your church brothers and sisters hoping that they'll point out things that you're doing wrong. So, Because you won't know. You may not know. And they're hoping that, and this is all done loving, this idea that people would care about whether you were going the wrong way or doing the wrong thing or living in a blunder in 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 a way that was wicked or foolish or harmful, right? And so what we're supposed to be doing is doing this, and we're very bad at it. And and I maybe a lot of us don't even look for it from others, you know, because we're afraid of what they're going to say to us. They're going to tell us that we're a bad people or something. But we, that text is saying, if you don't go to your brother, you share his guilt. You know what that says? That's Watchtower language, right out of Ezekiel. The blood's on the. Remember that? I don't know if you guys know this, but when I was a kid. <laughs> If a preacher really wanted to get everybody really riled up, he'd do a watchtower sermon. And what that meant was, are you, going to, are you on the watchtower? Are you, are you, wait? Are you watching for others? Are you, are you going to tell them the end's I oh, remember those sermons. They they make you feel so guilty. Because what it says is, if you don't warn people about the oncoming judgment of God, their blood is on your hands. If you have not told people about Jesus, who you know, their blood, you are guilty of it. You are guilty of their damnation. I don't want that. Do you want that? I don't want that. Guys, I take this so seriously that I make a point of sharing the gospel with everybody I meet just so I will not have to answer a question about having failed in that matter, lest I be responsible. It's one of the reasons why when I'm preaching, I always, want to, I always want to say what I'm afraid to say because I don't want to be here to please people. If I'm here to please people, I'm just playing favorites, and that's not from Jesus. I just had this idea. A wise man loves a rebuke. That there would be such a wisdom of the Holy Spirit among us where we are hungry for frank conversations about how we talk, how we live, how we love, how we worship. Anybody came? It's a tough one, isn't it? But it's a command. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Go and do this. What's the third what's the third command? Do not seek revenge. How many people like revenge movies? What was it? Where was it? There was some cheesy, cheesy actor, Charles Bronson. Did you ever see the Charles Bronson film? Revenge. You know, and this is where we get that idea, like that there's different kinds of pornography. <laughs> you know, there's not just sexual pornography, but there's other things we look at that we know we really shouldn't, but they feed a bad part of us. And there's a revenge kind of... It has a pornographic way about it. It's very, it can be very evil for your soul to feed on an idea of getting back. <laughs> but you know, um, this sermon was born out of listening to... And my heart was really filled up by, uh, by Drew's preaching last week. And I had so much joy. This is is the text text that came to me. Because I thought it was very interesting that love your neighbor as yourself and do not seek revenge are put together. It's very interesting to me. Because I think one of the biggest obstacles we have towards intimacy is our revenge. Now you might say to myself, you might say to me, Chris, I'm not into revenge. But I think you might be, I think maybe the scriptures could help us here. Because Paul quotes these texts in Romans 12. He quotes the text about vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And he uses a word. The Hebrew word for vengeance is just like our word. It just means vengeance. Getting, Getting back. But he uses the word adikia. He uses the dikayo group. Just like that earlier, it had that tzedek group. Why are those words sedek righteousness and decayo, the Greek word for righteousness, so important? Because we, now we know we're we're in the world of like self-justifying things. Like we, you know, like now we're in the world like, like I, now I recognize what vengeance could be. You think vengeance is like getting, getting angry and sitting somebody back? Not necessarily. There's so many ways we exact vengeance by seeking things to be fair. I want what I deserve. We live in an age where entire, entire groups of our of our, of our nation, in our culture, and our society are demanding repayment. How do you answer that? Well, that's interesting. I know God answers. We're not to seek it. Ever. Maybe you can say, but Chris, you're still not, you're missing me. How am I? Well, I think revenge can be as simple as. Any kind of gotcha. Well, What's a gotcha? I'll tell you a way that I, one of my sweetest forms of revenge. You know, Joyce, I told you so. Ooh, isn't that delicious? Ooh, just a taste on their mouth. What is that when you tell somebody I told you so? Well, you just said you were righteous, more righteous and intelligent than they were. And you just, that's a, that's a form of getting payback. It is getting something back. You know, maybe you felt like something was taken. We do things like this constantly. Uh, I find a lot of Christians do this. Well, you have to earn my trust. What? How dare a Christian say that? God didn't have to earn your trust, did he? We're not in a position of setting up hoops for people to jump through to prove to us that they're worthy of our love or care, or our sacrifice. Let that be gone from you. I'm serious, get rid of it. It's evil. This constant one to weigh, you know, and there's different ways we do it. We do it through criticism. We can criticize people, or we can complain. And these are different ways we address our grievance, because we're not being treated the way we thought we should be. And maybe God cheated us in the end. We don't care. We're just ticked. You get that. Do not give in to the desire to get something for yourself. Some sort of payback. Some sort of restitution. Some sort of equality. This is, I have not met a thief yet. I'm serious. I've known a lot of thieves. I've never met a thief yet who did not say to me, I only took what was owed me. Now, I'm sure there are thieves out there who do more than that. But those are the things I've talked to. And they feel like they've been ripped off. I'm taken back. It's that Robin Hood idea. I'm making it equal. That's not. That is not God. That's not the love of God. That's not how he treated us. He treated us with grace. You know, there's this idea that, you know, Christians talk a lot about grace, but they're not very gracious about it sometimes. Right? And I'm here to say that, We need to be as gracious as we are, full of talking about grace. They can never be, they need to be fully engaged, both of them. You can't can't say, well, the ends justify the means, so it doesn't work like that in the kingdom. The ends never justify the means in the kingdom. The means are as important as the ends in the kingdom. Heaven is as important as the cross. One doesn't get a second place. They are valued, and that's and that's in this endless refrain about all these different ways to keep the law. God is saying, "I am the I am." Don't you get it? Ground your life in me and my character, in my rebirth. Now, what's possible? Everything's possible. Don't you know that? Don't you know that power and possibility open up before eternal love? Don't you know that men and women have been raised from the dead? Don't you know that people have been cured of cancer? Don't you know that wombs have been opened? Don't you know these things? Have they not been up and written before you over and over again in the words of the Bible? This is our God. Let's worship him as he deserves, right? Let's engage him as he deserves. Because right here, in the invitation to love, he calls us to this command love one another as you love yourself. Everything's possible. I'm serious, because God is involved here. And the Holy Spirit is animating this. And we are little pictures of him loving. He loved us as his neighbor, and now we're loving our neighbors just like he does. And we are an echo of grace over and over again, all around us. Praise him. And there the possibilities get, Don't. Everything gets better. Get this, get this. Um, so... There's a lot of thou shalt nots in the Bible, right? Don't do this, don't do that, and don't do this, and don't do that. You know, was it? Don't drink, don't chew, and don't go with the girls that do. Right? You could multiply knots over and over again, right? You could not this, not that. But all you all you do is suffocate. <laughs> But that's not where the Bible heads, does it? The knot drops in the New Testament, doesn't it? The knots, they're still there. They're still vital. They're still important to teach us. But the knots aren't necessary. In other words, saying don't do this anymore is not anymore what God has to say to people born again by the Spirit. Why? Because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, prayer. against such things, there's no law. There's no law written to do those things. So you don't need one. <laughs> and that's us now. And there's this living possibility. I, you know, um, <laughs> they're just showing up. I see the spirit unlocking us in our spiritual imagination. Here, all right, so I'm going to close with these two things, and, and hopefully it's will be encouraging to you. The, fir- oh, the, first, the, first, um, the first rule, if it could help you, is, and this is, this is the way I came up with You can come up with a different version of this, but I think the spirit can unlock our imagination. The spiritual Imagination. And I think the spiritual imagination is the daughter of faith. The spiritual imagination is faith set free, giving birth to new life and new ideas, new visions, new sense of new, anyway, new sense of identity. But look at this. The question to live by in the spiritual imagination is this. What's the most awesome thing that I would want someone to do for me? If I was in clay shoes, <laughs> or anybody's shoes, pick your pick, right? Doesn't matter. Pop that question anywhere you want. Pop it wherever you want. You know, if you re- Gosh, if, if I was in that situation, the most awesome thing that somebody could do for me would be blank. What is it? Call, a note, uh, an encouragement. Uh, don't you hear it? That's the law of love, remember? Do unto others, do to others. The very things you want people to do for you. This is such a golden key of thinking. And you've heard it before, right? You've heard of this before. I'm just trying to put it in a way that just kind of sparks a little bit. Maybe make you a little more aware of it in your day to day. But something else here in the law I'm excited about. We're, we're, we're reading the rules. When's the last time you guys read the law? Can anybody do the Ten Commandments here? Can anybody do the Ten Commandments? Right off top of the right, you could, I believed you could, Scott. Only one of us. Study the law. You know, I've spent all this time tonight going over these rules, right? Over the poor, all this justice, and talking about the law, right? Something happened tonight while I was doing it, I don't know if you know it. But it got brighter in your life, your heart, your mind. It it got brighter. You're probably sitting there thinking, it's pretty dark in here, Chris. I know, I know, but it's still brighter now than it was 40 minutes ago. Right? we in the Bible. The more you get into the scriptures, I, I want you to hear the Word of God here. What the Word of God does, these, all these, remember I said this is causes tree of working out the rules? You need to learn how to work out rules too. You see, there's going to be situations you're going to be in this week, each one of you, that are not predicted by this text. Anybody walking through a vineyard this week, later on? Picking grapes, No, we're not, we're not in this. We're not in this pastoral world here, right? So what do we do? How do we, how do we make it kind of click for us a little bit? Well, if you're in the scriptures and you're asking for the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? This is a real surprise, because It was a surprise to me when it happens. happened to me. You begin to develop a conscience you begin to develop a conscience. Now, a conscience is a lot like a sundial. I love this image. It sure has been used before. But a sundial is only useful if it has the sun above it, right? If you use your flashlight on a sundial, or another light, or a local lamp, or the moon, the dial's lying. The dial's not telling you the truth, right? And you and I, we don't have a Bible in our hands, and we barely memorize most anything in it, for, for, for that matter. And we need something, you need something in the moment when the person comes up on you with something that you don't like or maybe something you do want. Who knows? And those moments, those moments, that, that, that the, the moment where you, you know, it's, it's do it or not do it. It's, it's sin or not sin. It's, it's, it's do I run or do I engage? What do I do? And in those moments, you need your conscience. And it's not Jiminy Cricket. It's not a little cricket talking in your head. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But your conscience is only as good as how much you know God's
0: As much as you're in it.
1: And so what what we did tonight, what what, what I did was, and that's why I went over all the texts, instead of just Leviticus 19, 17, and 18, I wanted to go through all the texts, but what was I doing there? Well, I'm I'm concerned about my wife's holiness. I want her to be more holy. And so I'm trying, yeah that's enough of that all right so i'll pick on joyce no i'm just kidding what's going on there well i'm being a little sneaky but i know that as i present the law to you as it gets into your head something good is happening to your heart this is why there's repetition in the text this is why there's repetition in the christian life going back to church again and again this is why we do these things why Because it's capable of your conscience to get seared, or broken, or or off-kilter, or illumined by a different light. Maybe your own reason. Maybe by what the group's doing. Maybe by the general attitude of this age. Maybe by San Francisco's morality. Whatever that is. (laughs) But this is the good thing about being in the law. Because to the reborn heart, it's like life and training and development and sharpening. So that you can clearly navigate this world. So that as I send you out from here, I'm wanting the Holy Spirit to guide you. You have hope. Making good decisions. Learning to trust the Holy Spirit and your con- as the conscience gets sharper and better all the time. Anybody remember what happens to Shylock? Anybody remember? Antonio doesn't pay up, so Shylock takes him to court. He wants his pound of flesh, right? And he gets to pick where on the body he takes it. That's a part of the deal. Shakespeare was a cheat, This is why I don't think it's a good play. Because at the very end, It's a bait and switch. In court, Shylock, wanting to take a pound of flesh, is now guilty of a crime himself. So the tables get turned on Shylock, where he was trying to get revenge, and now it comes back on him. And so as punishment for him demanding the pound of flesh, he has to renounce all his belongings and convert to Christianity. Shakespeare didn't understand the need for the new birth, did he? He didn't understand that the answer to hatred that he could so capture Iago or Richard III or the madness of, of, uh, of Shylock, you know? He captured it so beautifully, but he didn't understand the answer, right? The answer was, the need for the new birth life in our savior let's cry out for that tonight let's pray father i thank you for your words <laughs> we thank you for your laws and rules and 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 and, and i hope father uh, would you take the words that we were t- tonight about about um, about your law and your and loving one another and would you help us to yeah Help us to engage our hearts, Father, to give a hatred. Father, teach us how to speak frankly and to love each other in this discipling love, just like just like your son told us, told us to do, to speak frankly with each other, not be guilty of that. I don't want to be, just to be free in that. And then finally, just uh, no gotchas, <laughs> no I told you so's, no no making people jump through hoops and earn our trust or our love. Father, let let this place be a triumph of your grace. Let let our church, our community, our friendships, our our family, this place, be be a place of of just supernatural grace. Father, we pray for the conversion of many. We pray for the transformation of many. pray for our own transformation into people of love. And would you come and get glory for your son Jesus by answering our prayers
0: as we ask them in his name. Amen.